0: Maybe 30 or 20 years ago, a Saudi might have said, I'm Muslim and I'm Arab and I'm Saudi. Now they might say, I'm Saudi and I'm Arab and I'm Muslim.
1: You know, they're trying to radically refashion their country and they need help from the best experts in the
2: world. Do you want to have your country's people be disqualified from that because of some essentially antiquated point of view about how countries work together? In recent months, it can feel like Saudi Arabia is intent on buying the world. It's bought up much of golf, sports teams, many of the globe's best soccer players to its own domestic league, and it owns huge chunks of many of the biggest companies on the planet. But Saudi Arabia is not just on a shopping spree, the once insular, oil-rich kingdom is transforming into a major diplomatic and military player, a pivotal actor in the energy transition and looks set to host high-end cultural events like the FIFA World Cup. You know, they know that buying a football club immediately brings you a billboard into a global game that allows you to completely reposition yourself or rebrand yourself. It feels like we're entering the era of the Saudi Project. But what exactly is the kingdom trying to achieve and will it succeed? Coming soon from Intelligence Squared, the Saudi Project is a new podcast series seeking to answer some of these questions and more.
3: Britain does have choices. It's not either-or situation. We either indulge Mohammed bin Salman or boycott Mohammed bin Salman. There is a third choice.
2: Search The Saudi Project wherever you get your podcasts.
0: What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing...
2: Welcome to the Intelligence Squared podcast. I'm senior producer, Connor Boyle. For the Sunday debate, this week, we're revisiting a discussion from the archive. In 2019, we invited an expert panel to debate the motion the West should pay reparations for slavery. Our host for the debate was the author, academic and broadcaster, Emma Dabry. Let's join the conversation now.
1: Hello. And welcome to this Intelligence Squared debate on the motion that the West should pay reparations for slavery. The issue of reparations has gathered momentum and a renewed sense of urgency in recent years. In America, Senator Elizabeth Warren, who is running for the Democratic presidential nomination, has backed reparations for African Americans. And closer to home, At the recent Labour Party conference, senior figures called for reparations, including the shadow chancellor, John McDonnell, who suggested that one way that that Britain could do this would be through sharing free or cheap green technology with its former colonies. Cambridge University has announced that it will investigate its links with slavery and how the university gained financially from it. And Glasgow University has become the first British university to set up a reparative justice scheme, committing to pay $20 in reparations to atone for the university's links to the slave trade. But not everybody agrees that this is the best way forward. They argue that we are talking about crimes committed by and to people long since gone. They argue that the costs would cripple economies and hurt the people reparations claim to want to help. So that's what we're going to be debating tonight. And so, without further ado, let's open up the debate. Our first speaker for the motion is Kehinde Andrews. He is a professor of black studies at Birmingham University, a regular opinion writer for The Guardian, and was part of the team that launched the first black studies degree in Europe. He is author of Back to Black, Retelling Black Radicalism for the 21st Century. His family is from Jamaica, and he is a descendant of enslaved Africans.
4: Okay, Okay. so thank you. Um, in 2018, the HMRC, it was, it, was, it was a treasury, released a tweet that had a surprising Friday fact. Now, you may know what this fact was, as they tweeted it, incorrectly actually, that millions of you have, millions of you have helped end the slave trade through your taxation. Because... In, and this is actually incorrect, because actually the slave trade and slavery are different things, which is something lost on the Treasury and lost on most commentators on this issue. The slave trade was abolished in 1807 uh, by the United Kingdom after the fear of Africans in the Haitian Revolution. Slavery continued for another 20 or so years, uh, carried on. What the, what the Treasury was talking about in this particular instance was the abolition of slavery in the British Empire, which did happen in 1833, or really 1834, and, it, and your tax money, you will be happy to know, merrily happy to know, went into helping end slavery. But how did it do this? It did this because in order to end the system of slavery, the government paid the biggest bailout in the history of the UK, the UK, of the UK economy to the slave owners they actually paid reparations to the slave owners. A figure so large, they had to take out a loan from the treasury, a loan that was so big, they only paid it back in 2015. Which means that me, descendant of slaves, my mum, descendant of slaves, my dad, descendant of slaves, and half of you in the room, potentially descendant of slaves, all paid slavery reparations to slave owners. So, the principle has already been established that reparations are due. The question is, who are they due to? All right? Now, worse still than the kind of merry celebration of the treasury of this fact is that that wasn't the only reparation that was paid to the slave owners by the British. They, when slavery ended, they had a period of four years of apprenticeship where the formerly enslaved had to spend half of their days working for free for the slave masters. So they had to actually pay reparations with their own labor. Again, the principle of reparations is firmly established. It wasn't just, This didn't just happen in the UK. Uh, Denmark, Holland, Spain, all paid reparations to slave owners. In fact, Haiti, as I already mentioned, the price of their freeing themselves, liberating themselves from France, was in 1825, they submitted to a 150 million franc debt to the French, in reparation to who? Slave owners. An mu- amount of money so large that it took 122 years for Haiti to pay off. In fact, one of the reasons Haiti is the poorest country in the world today is because of it had to pay that debt off for 122 years. So when we talk about the idea of slavery being something in the past, we are being completely ignorant. Because up until 2015, me and you were still paying off this debt. Again, a debt so large but it, was, it represented 40% of the British government's purse at that time, 40%, imagine that, 40% of the government's purse and 5% of GDP. In today's money, that is 100 billion pounds. Reparations to who? The slave owners. So, while I've established that reparations are, are well established in the history of law, and went to the slave owners, I could probably stop and sit down for the next six minutes. But I won't. I will carry on and give you more evidence of why reparations are due. Right? So, we've established a slave. the slave owners, got a lot of money. This money went to people like it went to the church, it went to government, it went to um, companies, it went to people like David Cameron's family, and this money still actually is with us in the economy today. What I really want to stress for you here is this is not an issue of something that happened in the past, because the wealth that was derived from slavery is still with us today. So when we talk about the West, the West really emerges in after 1492, when Columbus sails the ocean blue. I'm sure you've heard the story which has been dubbed, Once Upon a Genocide. After they had, after they had killed 98% of the natives of the Americas, They needed labor in order to build what became, and it's not a coincidence, America is the leader of the free world, the richest country on the planet. It's because the um, the founding of the Americas was absolutely essential to the development of the West. The biggest lie the West will tell you is that when they encountered Africa, Asia, the other parts of the world, they were advanced. And because of this advancement, we were able to have capitalism and uh, what we call so-called civilization. This is actually untrue. In 1492, Europe was coming out of a dark age and was the only place on the planet that had actually was in a dark age at that period of time. Europe was not advanced in 1492. Europe had to unveil itself to the Eastern Empires in order to get into them. And one of the primary ways that Europe and the West became rich was through the enslavement of African people. The 300-year cycle of the triangular trade that generated so much wealth, it accelerated the Western, Western capitalism and built the world we have today. So if you think about somewhere like, like, like Britain, think about this city we're in today, London. London would be half its size without the wealth from slavery. Places like Liv- uh, Liverpool, which was a duck, Bristol, which was also a duck, a port for the slave trade, would probably not exist in any way, shape or form without the wealth derived from slavery. Even places like, I'm from Birmingham. Birmingham made the majority of guns and chains uh, for it's so the slave trade, and this is actually one of the ways in which Birmingham became the powerhouse that it was. And Manchester, the cotton industry, the cotton which we we're so proud of, and the factories up north, was again directly a link. We've seen when Liverpool opened as a slave as a slave port, they built a canal to Manchester, and it's only after that that the Manchester trade in cotton, because where was cut, where did cotton get derived from? Slavery. By 1788, there were 180,000 people uh, working in Manchester. On money from the enslavement of African people. So, even the cities we have today, the way the country looks today, is built on the wealth of slavery. Couldn't exist without it. So, this isn't money that has gone away, it's money that is still here. A perfect example of this would be Lloyd's of London, UK's largest corporation, massive multi billion corporation, that celebrated its 300th anniversary um, a couple of years ago. CEO was on television and proudly declared. They were happy to celebrate their roots in insuring the merchant trade. She neglected to mention that trade was the slave trade, right? In fact, whole industries like insurance, um, like some of uh, many of our financial products and financial that make financial capitalism what it is, derived from where? Slavery, stocks, bonds. These words are not used by accident. They actually tell you the roots of where these things come from. Lloyds of London, before it was insuring slave voyages, was a coffeehouse. And it was a coffeehouse in London where they would, they, they would advertise for runaway slaves. So there were the enslaved Africans in the UK. And the runaway slaves in London would be returned to where? The Lloyds of London coffeehouse. This is how unveiled in, in capitalism and slavery are. So when we talk the wealth is around us, you can see it everywhere, you can see it in these university spaces, you can see it just walk down the road, you can see the wealth. The wealth is still here. Our current system is, 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 is the way it is because of the money derived from African uh, slavery. So this case is to the case for reparations. Unpaid labour for 300 years, untold psychological and human damage, um, and... Reparations again, and I remind you, significant reparations paid to the slave owners. And what did the enslaved receive? Less than nothing. Not even nothing, less than nothing. I had to buy their freedom through work in the, in the UK. I had to buy their freedom in places like Haiti. And, this, so when, and when we think about that, time doesn't stop after the enslavement of African people. When slavery ends, what happens? So Britain, my family has said, Jamaica, you are left with a place in a country which is built on a plantation economy. That's all it is. There's nothing else there. There's no other development than plantation economy. Uh, you are left with no, nothing, nothing to show for your labor uh, for the last 300 years. You are left in absolute destitute poverty. You are also, slavery ends and colonialism then continues. It's not like they just stopped and ended and finished. Malcolm X has a quote where he says, if you stab a knife nine inches into my back and only take it at three inches, that's not progress. Even if you take the knife all the way out, that's still not progress. Unless you heal the wound, no progress has been made. Unfortunately, the knife is still firmly in our backs, right? Nothing has been done to redress the balance, which explains why places like Jamaica are extraordinarily poor, which explains why my family migrated from Jamaica to this country and experienced racism and still experience racism today. If you want to understand why the world is the way the world is, why racial oppression is here in America, in the Caribbean, and in Africa. Remember, millions of people taken from Africa. The impact on, African, on the African economy was devastating. What slavery did was it ushered in a world of white supremacy, the creation of the Negro, the idea that I am not fully human and can be used as a beast of burden. It created the idea of white supremacy. Black on the bottom, white on the top, and everybody else in between. And if you look today at global inequality, what do you see? Africa, black at the bottom. The West, largely white, at the top, and everybody else in between. The legacy of slavery is not something past, it is something with us, and there is a substantial debt owed to those who suffered from it. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Kende. Next up, we have our first speaker against the motion, Catherine Barbel Singh. Catherine is headmistress and co-founder of Macadia Community School in London. She's the author of two books, including To Miss With Love, based on her blog, describing her experiences teaching at an inner-city secondary school. Her mother is Jamaican, and her father is Guyanese. She is a descendant of slaves, slave owners, and indentured labourers.
5: Well, I don't actually disagree with lots of what K&D said, um, except for his conclusion, of course, that reparations should be paid. Slavery was an abomination. And if you read about the terrible things done to slaves, it's hard not to cry. But today's debate isn't about whether or not slavery was bad or good. It's about whether the West should pay reparations for slavery. Which West ought to pay? The Portuguese who brought the slaves, the Dutch who provided the boats, the British who provided the insurance, the Portuguese, Spanish, and French who ran the largest colonies... And what of the African people who sold their brothers and sisters in exchange for guns, allowing them to grow their own kingdoms? Then there's Brazil. Is it part of the West? Of the 12 million Africans that were shipped across the Atlantic, Brazil received nearly 5 million of them. So why are we only discussing whether the West should pay for reparations for slavery? Hard to come up with an answer. So let's put aside the complexities of who might pay for these reparations and turn our minds instead to who might be the specific recipients of the money. What I want to know is, what am I going to get out of this? I mean, after all, I'd quite like a new car. Perhaps I could upgrade my flat and get something nice just off the corner of Oxford Street. And I'm definitely entitled. Yes, sirree, my parents come from the Caribbean. My mother is black Jamaican. But then my father... Well, he doesn't really come from slaves. He's Indo-Caribbean from Guyana. Of course, his people were indentured servants. When slavery was abolished, Indians were taken to the Caribbean to take the place of the slaves who had been freed. Somebody had to do the work. My father's family lived in the same huts as the slaves once did, were tied to the same families as the slaves once were, Just instead of my father's grandparents being bought and sold, instead it was their contract of indenture that was bought and sold and obligated them to work for the time period set by their owners. The conditions were horrific. My illiterate grandmother might have told you all about this herself had the poverty and environment that engulfed Indian indentured laborers in the Caribbean not been so grotesque that she died when my father was only six years old. But I'll forget that story, because my father's mother and their people weren't slaves, and that isn't going to deliver me the cash, is it? I'll stick with my black Jamaican mother. Not sure what we do with people like Kamala Harris, one of the candidates for the Democratic nomination of the U.S. presidency. Her mother is from India. Her father is from Jamaica. Her father admits that his family owned slaves. Does she get a piece of the pie? Barack Obama is black, but his mother is white and descends from slave owners like so many mixed-race people. So do they get half payments instead of full payments? How is this all meant to work, anyway? I'll tell you one way in which it might work. There are various websites out there. Right now, in 2019, this is mainly an American thing, where black people are getting white people to donate money for, to them, you know, in the guise of reparations. So I'll read out one of these sites to you. It's a real site run by a black American woman who right now is collecting cash from white people because of reparations owed to her. So there are instructions for black people and for white people here. So for black people in the audience, listen up. Number one, if you are black and a descendant of chattel slavery, please put your PayPal, Vemno, and or Cash app in the comments of this post. Number two, you do not have to plead your case or share why you are participating. Being black is enough. So black people in the audience, you want some extra money to go out on the weekend? Just get your PayPal information on there. Now white people, these are the guidelines. Number one... Realizing that you have white privilege or that you are inherently racist is not sufficient, okay? It's not sufficient to recognize that you have white privilege. Take action that gives your power away, white people. So right now, think of that action. What's it going to be? Number two, this is not a substitute for reparations from the government. This should be every politician's platform. Are you demanding this from them, white people? Are you writing to your local MP and demanding reparations? Number three, you can give $1, $5, $10, $50, $100, $1,000, $10,000, whatever works for you. Little smiley face. So you can give this young woman $10,000 and get rid of your white guilt. Now, this young woman leaves out of the equation that slavery isn't just black and white. The first point is that everyone had slaves, okay? People of all colors became slaves for economic reasons, because of war, because slavery, as odious as it was, was simply a normal way of life. Arabs were extracting millions of black African slaves centuries before Christian nations did, for about 13 centuries, compared to the three centuries European nations ran the Atlantic slave trade. Arabs marched African slaves across the Sahara Desert, and as such, they died more often. It was customary to castrate them, and many died from this practice. The Arabs also enslaved over one million white European Christians. The term slavery, in fact, comes from the word Slav. The Slavs inhabited Eastern Europe and were taken by the Muslims of Spain in the, 19th, in the 9th century. Not to mention that Africans had been enslaving each other for thousands of years. The point is that slavery. The, the, the second point is that slavery was not about race, and that's important. It was not about race. The only reason we think it's about race is because philosophers like David Hume in the 18th century ranked human beings and put Africans at the bottom, saying that they had no souls. The Enlightenment imposed the concept of race on a practice that had been going on for centuries in order to justify that practice. And why did they have to justify it? And this is the point. Because people in the West began to question slavery's moral validity. The fact is that people of all colors owned slaves, both as part of the Atlantic slave trade and outside of it. In the United States and Caribbean, black people black people, owned thousands of black slaves, and so did the Native Americans. Nearly 20,000 of the Native American five civilized tribes sided with the Confederacy during the Civil War, fighting to keep slavery alive. 28% of the black population who were free in New Orleans pledged their support to the Confederacy. All of the 13 southern states of the Confederacy had substantial numbers of black slave owners. There were more than 250,000 free blacks, and nearly 4,000 of them were slave masters, who owned more than 20,000 slaves. The practice of slavery was legal, after all. We need to remember that governments did not own slaves. Slave owners did. In fact, the U.S. government fought a war to end slavery, How much should the descendants of the 400,000 Union soldiers who lost their lives fighting to free the slaves pay to the descendants of the slaves they freed? It's bizarre to suggest that human beings should inherit the outrage of the deeds of their parents. Should the child born from a rapist be branded a rapist because of his father's criminality? Should the child of a mass murderer be sent to prison because of his father's crime? No. In America... In the main, it was the Democrats who owned slaves, and the Democrats who in the main passed and enforced Jim Crow laws. It was also the Democrats who founded the Ku Klux Klan. Should the current Democratic Party be held responsible for this? No, we do not inherit the sins of our fathers. Aside from the fact that it would be simply impossible to make reparations work in any sensible or practical way, one must ask whether it would be helpful to the people one is trying to help. This is key, because we assume that reparations are going to help them. Giving people lump sums of money does not work. Economists often point to the Georgia Land Lottery of 1832, in which parcels of land were distributed randomly. What happened to the descendants of those who were lucky enough to be given this land? Are they the richest families in Georgia? No. In fact, within one generation after the distribution of the Georgia land, one could not distinguish between those who had been given land and those who hadn't. Certainly my own direct experiences of working for 20-plus years in the inner city with families on welfare demonstrates this time and time again. Rather than give a man a fish, it is always better to teach him how to fish. All giving the fish does is make the giver feel better. Reparations might relieve white people of their guilt, but it will do little else. So back to my initial question. Why are we only discussing whether the West should pay reparations for slavery? Because while slavery was common to all civilizations, only one civilization developed a moral revulsion against it very late in its history. Western civilization. Not even the leading moralists in other civilizations rejected slavery at all. Rather than be ashamed as Westerners, we should stand proud for having led the world out of a mentality where slavery was the norm, and we should vote against this motion. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Catherine. Our second speaker for the motion is Esther Stanford-Gorsese. She's a reparations activist and lawyer she is co-vice chair of the Pan-African Reparations Coalition in Europe. As a, of in, as a descendant of Africans enslaved in the Caribbean, her activism seeks to remember the historic and cultural ties between diaspora communities and their African motherland.
3: Thank you. Um, My thesis, I have three main arguments that reparations for slavery are not just about the period of chattel enslavement. Secondly, that reparations are about much more than money. And thirdly, that reparations are not a divisive issue, that they are the only approach that can transform our broken societies. The reason why we're talking about why the West should pay reparations for slavery is because the conversations about Arab enslavement and their responsibilities and the complicity of some African collaborators is already taking place. So when I talk about the West paying, I'd first of all like to uh, clarify that when I refer to the West, I'm referring to the conceptual West, which is the elitist construct of Euro-American elites or the oligarchy. Secondly, when I argue that the West should pay... I'm referring to the notion of payment as taking responsibility for wrongs committed and harms inflicted. And by this, I mean that the Western establishment should take collective responsibility for meeting the reparatory justice needs of African heritage communities and indigenous peoples who were subjected to the criminality of the crimes of genocide and ecocide, which collectively constitute the Ma'angamizi, a key Swahili term meaning the African Holocaust or African Holocaust and continuum of chattel, colonial and neo-colonial forms of enslavement. Secondly, it's about providing or redistributing wealth and resources that have been gained by unjust enrichment and have left a legacy of unjust impoverishment for the descendants of the African enslaved people. In 2001, at the World Conference Against Racism that was held in South Africa, it reaffirmed fundamental human rights of people of African descent, particularly the right to be repaired from criminal and injurious acts of one's government... In the official outcome document of the conference, the governmental delegates declared that the so-called transatlantic slave trade, slavery, apartheid, and colonialism were crimes against humanity. Further, that there was an economic basis to these crimes that are evident today in the injuring nations that are wealthy and also the impoverishment of much of the global south and those of us who are from those communities originally from the global south. The Durban Declaration also declared that the effects and the persistence of these structures and practices have been among the factors contributing to lasting social and economic inequalities, poverty, underdevelopment, marginalisation and social exclusion in many parts of the world today, and even further, that there is an obligation on the part of those nations that were criminally enriched by these crimes that they should engage in redress. Secondly, my argument is that reparations for chattel enslavement is not just about the period of chattel enslavement. In fact, in 2001, Human Rights Watch helpfully expounded When addressing relatively old wrongs, we would base claims of reparations not on the past abuses of chattel enslavement itself, but on its contemporary effects. That is, we would focus on people who can reasonably claim that today they personally suffer the effects of past human rights violations through continuing economic or social deprivation. And when it comes to the matter of crimes against humanity, the right to reparations does not get extinguished with the death of the original victims, but can be pursued by his or her heirs. If we go to international law... The premise for reparations was laid out in the Chorzo Factory case of 1928, which is that reparation must, as far as possible, wipe out all the consequences of the illegal act and re-establish the situation which would in all of probability have existed if that act had not been committed. And so under the basic principles and guidelines on the right to a remedy and reparation for victims of gross violations of international human rights law and serious violations of international humanitarian law, it is recognised that reparations consist of measures of cessation, assurances and guarantees of non-repetition, restitution and voluntary forms of repatriation, compensation... Rehabilitation and measures of satisfaction, which are about looking at moral damage, emotional injury, intergenerational trauma, mental suffering, and the injury to reparations, to sorry, one's reputation. So, reparations are not a divisive issue. They are the only approach that can transform our broken and divided societies. The Stop the Maungamizi campaign and the 18,000-plus people that have signed the Stop the Maungamizi petition urge that there is a need for dialogue between British state and society. And the way in which this dialogue can happen is by establishing the All-Party Parliamentary Commission of Inquiry for Truth and Reparatory Justice, which has terms of reference, including examining the de jure and de facto racial and economic discrimination which impact people of African descent today and to look at the impact of historic enslavement on African descendant communities, as well as to make recommendations to Parliament and other similar bodies on how best to repair the legacies of enslavement and colonisation today. We in the Stop the Muangamizi campaign believe that establishing this all-party parliamentary commission of inquiry will go a long way towards institutionalising a reparative, truth-seeking process – that will contribute to healing and restoring the descendants of the enslaved and facilitating racial justice and equity between the descendants of the enslaved as well as the enslavers today and, of course, in wider society. However, such repair of the relationship between people of African descent and the rest of society cannot take place without public acknowledgement of the crimes against African people and their descendants over five centuries and counting and without UK governmental action to enable redress and reparation for the brutal injustices committed not only in the past but which still continue into the present. That is my case. The West should pay reparations for slavery by taking responsibility for living up to their declarations of respecting human rights and the rule of law.
2: That's why over 37,000 companies have already made the move. And now by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com/squared. That's netsuite.com/squared. netsuite.com/squared.
1: Thank you, Esther. Um, and our final speaker against the motion is Tony Sewell. He's an educational consultant and CEO of the charity Generating Genius and helped to set up the science, maths and IT centre at Jamaica's University of the West Indies. He is author of Black Masculinities and Schooling, How Black Boys Survive Modern Schooling. And he was born in London to Jamaican immigrants. He is a descendant of enslaved Africans.
6: yes i um, uh, hope hopefully, hopefully you give both um, sides the the right amount of applause because uh, i I'm, I'm very sensitive to what happens here look um look i want to argue with this at a different angle um i i, I want i want to argue that reparations is actually a regressive step for black majority countries and black individuals, and i say that in in its generic sense um and because it mainly gives Too much power and agency actually to white people. I actually think that the arguments placed before, just before, is that they're actually a bit too soft. I I, I think they need to go further. Uh, And I I, I think, in in some ways, I mean, what I mean by go further, I mean, in in terms of really what um, I suppose we could talk about the agency and power of black people themselves and what they bring to this. And if you look at the leaders, Booker T. Washington, Malcolm X, the Black Power Movement, Maya Angelou, Oprah, um, and the key figure here is Marcus Garvey, the the, the father, if you like, the father figure of Pan-Africanism. Not really interested in reparations, really. And if you look at their work what they're actually arguing for is something completely opposite. In fact, they're arguing for, in fact, they see it as a kind of way in which it's a continual kind of step backwards because white people are there and we're begging for some money. The father of black nationalism, Marcus Garvey, argues that slavery was a mere interruption. Now, you might think, well, that's a bit harsh. I mean, in the sense that all of what was explained and all the horror of slavery, and he says it's a mere interruption. And what he actually means is that, look, there was a great history for black people and and a great dignity before slavery. This thing came along. However, we actually almost redeemed ourselves, even inside slavery. We were doing that reparation work already on ourselves, on ourselves. And I think that's the issue. And I think that, um, so he wants Africa, and he wants a new Africa, and he wants a new kind of sense of identity in Africa. And he sees that as a new world built by black people, built by Africans themselves. Not with the money of white people, not with the guilt money, but because they can do it themselves. And he he bases these three things, he bases it on three things. Self-reliance, as it wasn't surprising that so many Jamaicans and my ancestors um, were enslaved, but they ran off the, they, they, they actually rebelled and ran away into the hills and started to do the repair job on themselves. Yeah? Um, Africa as a site for opportunity not as this broke-down place that we have to kind of give money to and, we have, and all the kinds of notions we have about Africa, all the negative notions. I actually think some of the reparations debate and the people who support it add to that, add to that negativity. And, of course, the notion of success. Bloody hell, when you hear these people talking about the state of black people, you just feel like you want to go around, go out and sort of... Hang yourself or something. They're so depressing. They're so fucking depressing. And I think that really, <laughs> we want to see, I see myself as a successful black man. I see myself as a positive black man. I see my, and I see black women in terms of a positive future. And I think that one of the things that, that the great African leaders that I see, the Garveys, the Oprahs, the Maya Angelus, can come to this in a way that is completely different and a different mindset at this. And in fact, it almost is in line with holding us back. Um, Oprah, let's just give one example. Oprah says once she has in a hallway of Winfrey uh, a picture of uh, a woman who's just been emancipated from slavery. And she's looking out and she's uh, to the new world. And she says, She remembers what Maya Angelou said to her. Maya Angelou says this, um, Baby, your crown has been paid for, so put it on your head and wear it. In other words, my ancestors have already done all the hard work. They've already done all the reparations. Yeah, But Marley makes a beautiful song where he talks about the whole idea of The songs that he's created have been redemption songs. Now, people don't really, they sing that song and they don't really understand what he's saying. What he's really saying is, look, we Jamaicans, we've already unpacked it for ourselves. The the vase that was broken and then we had to put it back together in all different bits, but we put it back together. Even though it wasn't the same, we put it back together creatively and we created a new culture and we created a new music we created a new identity right inside slavery. So we don't need white people to come along and give us anything. Let me ask you a question, I'm, I'm, and let me just give you some quotes. This is Garvey, and he, and he uses the word Negro because ni- in the 1920s, that was the word that they used to describe black people. He says, the Negro will have to build his own industry, art, science, literature, and cultures before the world will stop to consider him. So what he's talking about there is this self-reliance, this power of building yourself, not waiting around until white people decide to give you something. He also says this, we are going to emancipate ourselves from mental slavery. Remember, we are, not you lot, we are, yeah? We are going to emancipate ourselves from mental slavery because whilst others might free the body, none but ourselves can free the mind. And he goes on again at the end. He says, our success, this is why I talk about the happiness bit in this, our success educationally, industrially, and politically is based upon the protection of a nation founded by ourselves and that nation could be nowhere else but in Africa. Let me ask you a question. Which country, and we've heard all these things about Africa being in a bad way at the moment, which country in Africa at the moment is one of the fastest growing has the fast one of the fastest growing economies? Can you name the country? Come on, tell me which one. Kenya. Which one? Kenya. Kenya. Mm, not really. Nearly. The, I'll tell you which one it is. And this is this is the one that is surprising. It's Ethiopia. Here is the country. Remember Band Aid. Remember that that the, the the little children down there with the flies around them, and remember you having to. Pouring all that that money into Ethiopia. And really and and truly, the outcome of all that money went nowhere. Ethiopia, and I'll just quote this, is predicted to grow by 8.5% this year. This is no kind of country, little country there with, with little mud huts and kids flying around. This is a serious country. Now, why is it? And the issue is, it's not about reparations, it's about investment. What's happened is Ethiopia has decided, right, here are the terms between the West and us. What's going to happen now, and it's been the Chinese that's understood this the best, is that you can come and invest in us. And investment means you're a real person then, because you get something out of it, we get something out of it. And we're grown-ups now. And that's the model for Africa, and that's the model for us also psychologically as well. You talk about the issue of um, the psychological problems around slavery and what it's done to to black people. One of the biggest issues I find, I run a charity called Generating Genius. Believe that all my lot of my kids are black. A lot of my kids have come to me in terms of my program, really not going for much. And then ending up doing in the top companies in, doing in the sciences. And simply all I've said to them is forget all the negative kind of things said about you. Not only about in terms of the racism, but also in terms of other black people saying you can't do it because you're black. Or because white people have to give you reparations, have to allow you to do it before you can be successful. So what I'm arguing today, my argument is a different kind of angle on this, is that I think that part of the problem we're facing is actually within our own community. And I speak directly to black communities here. Part of our own problem in, t- in terms of seeing ourselves totally as victims. Ethiopia, that kind of broke down country, nobody, everybody wanted to give. If I think now there are Ethiopians ready now Getting their um, food parcels ready to send to Sunderland, yeah <laughs> to help them out yeah that 's where Africa is going, and so I would argue here that um, in terms of the West, the West should invest because Africa and black people um, need that investment because they 're worthy of it and they 're worthy of it in terms of their se- their sense of dignity and in terms of their Their um, sense that they're going to go somewhere. So, my argument is please um, (laughs) vote for me.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Okay, the results of the pre vote are in. Very interesting. We have 39% for the motion. Um, we have 23 percent against, and we have 38 who at the beginning, before listening to any of these presentations, were undecided. So really, that's a, that's, a, that's a pretty big percentage that we're working with for the swing there. So it will be very interesting to see the final, to see the final result. Um, now I'm going to move on to taking some questions from the audience. Okay, number one up here.
7: Yes, um, Mr. Sewell as well. You talked about um, black people not being given anything. But again, it's widely known that particularly in the U.S., at the same time when black people were not given 40 acres on a mule, millions of land were given to white people. Also, they were given loans, cheap loans, they were given college education. The advancement made by a lot of white people was because of what they were given. So the question is, why is it everybody else must be given, but not black people? And um, also the fact, I come from Trinidad, partly Indo-Trinidadian as well. Again, the Indian indentured laborers were given land at the end of the indentureship. Again, the blacks were the only ones not given. So I'd love to hear your perspectives.
6: Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, let's go to this lady here, number two. Thank you.
8: So, um, forgetting the emotional calls for reparations or the reasons why one can repair oneself, if I owe Vodafone money and um, when they come to my house, they don't come just for exactly what was owed to them, they come and they can take my um, television, they can take whatever they want out of the house. There are laws in this country. There are laws in the U.S. as well. If people were working without being paid, and it is owed... the work of their hands is owed to them. It was very easy to calculate what reparations were owned to, owed to slave owners after their property was taken from them. I don't understand why it's more complicated to calculate what is owed to people when there were many things, including their lives, that were taken from them as well. If that is easy to calculate, then it's not, it shouldn't be that hard to calculate what the difference is. Um, you talked about the land that was given in Georgia, and you talked about um, studies that were done about what happened to the people many years after the land was given and how many of them had not become the richest um, families in that area. First of all, Atlanta is one of the richest um, areas in the U.S., particularly for people of color. And the second piece of that is that was Jim Crow taken into... um, into, was that considered when they were calculating what had happened to people after? Was the policing system in the U.S.? Were systems in place in the U.S. where they would go and take the richest black communities and burn them down? Was that taken into consideration?
1: Thank you. So we will move on to those questions. The first one was directed to Tony. Um, so yes, Ethiopia, the only African country not to be colonized? And then the second part of that question, that this um, Chinese involvement that you speak so highly of is seen by many as a second wave of colonialism.
6: Yeah, um, uh, I mean, Ethiopia is one, Kenya is another, Ghana is another. I mean, I'll I just picked that as an example. Um, so, and Kenya certainly did have colonialism. Um, and um, what, what I'm just saying is that the model that um, is, is being used to sort of almost kind of and it's, it's very much in line with what Garvey wanted, in a sense, was that Africa's now seen as a serious player on the, on the planet. And I think that's the key. Um, and, and that's really what we're talking about, is the, what is the difference? What's going to make the difference for the lives of those, those, those young people in those countries and how to move them on? It's investment. And I think that the issue about China is interesting because, yes, I'm, look, I have no doubt about it the Chinese are trying to do some ripoff off act here. However, if you look at the amount of infrastructure now in the Caribbean, I, 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 I live in Jamaica, and I'm just kind of... At last, we've got some road systems, you know, which, which were just never there before when the British were, 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 were engaging with us. And so I think that um, uh, there, is a, there is a deal going on here, and part of the problem is that the deals are brokered by those post-colonial leaders. And some of the backhanders and some of the corruption that goes on um, is as much um, as we've we've had um, in, in the colonial period. And so I think that th- there is that to look at, rather than just see this as uh, uh, as something that is you know is is a colonial thing and a, and a, and a slavery thing. I just think that we should be thinking about how we manage our own countries, how we, as grown-ups now in the region that we we move on. And we want to move on not from reparations, but we want to move on with investment. Would you like to respond, Kindi? Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's interesting you're saying that black people should take
4: responsibility, but the West should take no responsibility for the situation in which we find ourselves in. Which is essentially your argument, right? (laughs) I appreciate that you have a difficult argument to make. I just never thought I'd hear it made in that manner. I mean... (laughs) <laughs> Malcolm X, Garvey, the, Malcolm X actually says very clearly that self-help is one thing. We need self-help. But we have to understand that we are in a position where we've been wholly disadvantaged. And so in order for us to help ourselves, we need to be given what we are owed. It's simple, isn't it? And once we are paid what we are owed, we will go away <laughs> and do exactly what we need to do. So I'm sorry, X, Garvey, the Black Power Movement, this is where reparations comes from, the debate. So to invoke them is just... Is, I'm sorry, it's a kind of madness. And also, look, I, I would like to say that Africa is rising. There is this whole logic... But it's, it's, unfortunately, it's, a, it's not true. GDP is the very worst way to measure uh, improvement. The reason Ethiopia is GDP... So the reason Ethiopia's GDP is 8.5% is because of Chinese investment, right? China puts money in. However, do you know that when China puts its infrastructure money in, about 85% of it goes to China? So actually, Ethiopia's spending its own money to pay China to build its roads. And you think this is a good thing for Africa? In fact, unfortunately, look, look, positive thinking is a good idea, but you can't delude yourself into believing that the situation is better than it is. (laughs) The unfortunate reality is, if you actually look at the situation in Africa, Africa is kind of the only continent that is going backwards. It really is. And this is, this is the unfortunate truth. The growth which you are so celebrating is growth which only helps the elite and only helps the Chinese and only helps the West. It is not growth, sadly, that helps Africa.
1: So the next question with Catherine, it was based on some of the points that you made, that the Indian indentured laborers in the Caribbean were actually given land, so had a substantial advantage in in comparison with
5: um, the descendants of the enslaved. How would you respond to that? Well, as Tony was just saying, nobody is saying on this side that uh, slavery was okay. Um, When the debate is about... The the debate is whether or not reparations should be paid. Slavery was an awful, awful thing. Um, And, you know, really, really... You know, I mean, I, 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 can't, I can't talk about how awful it was. Can I just say, given, um, given,
1: that, given that it's an awful thing, how, are black, how would you suggest black people catch up
5: with the advantages that have been given to every other racial group? Okay, so it's important to just say as well, of course there have been advantages. Of course, you know, when you say, why weren't blacks given anything? Well, because that, that's the history. I mean, nobody's saying that was right, right? Nobody's saying that, uh, that, that blacks haven't had a hard time. Um this idea of what is owed to us, what By is owed blacks, to them. By you mean people of African descent? Yes. Okay. Um, when we say what is owed to them, we aren't them, right? The, 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 these people are no longer with us. Uh, we, the, the problem is, is that identity politics uh, it forces us to see everyone in a particular group as opposed to seeing people as individuals. And as I was saying, you know, the child of a rapist should not have to carry the burden of his father's crimes. Um, It's important to recognize that people are individuals, uh, and those individuals are responsible for the things that they do. Yes. Kahinde spoke very specifically
1: about the legacy that endures to this day and how this um, amount of money was only paid off in 2015 and how we very much live with the afterlife of slavery. Would, would you like to respond to this in any way, Esther or yeah. Um I mean,
3: look, for me, th- this red herring of saying that, well, every society had slavery and so we don't have to deal with it is very problematic. We're talking about a specific experience that happened to a group. And I'm talking as somebody who claims that African identity that has been denied me and many others. And many of us who are, you know, that's part of the restitution, which is a principle of reparations. So we have to redefine the languages that we use and stop infusing Eurocentric ideas and perspectives into essentially what is an issue about us as African people. Okay? And we need to have cognitive justice in the way that we even talk about our ancestors. Our ancestors lived through us. This is not an academic debate for She'll some right. of us, right. okay? Right. So we are, at, we are them, and that is why some of us are raised, and this time to continue the struggle that they began. Every successive generation of African people from the beginning of chattel enslavement in the 1400s has championed reparations. And I explained what reparations mean in international law. You cannot reduce reparations to money and compensation. So those that resisted enslavement, they were seeking their freedom, which was restitution of their dignity, their humanity, and their right
1: to be free. Their right to go to their homelands. What what would you say to Tony's argument that this approach is unhelpful and that it keeps black people locked in a sort of victim mentality? Well, no,
4: I mean, I think part of this is this idea that, you know, the people who are, it's, it's an individual thing and the criminals aren't here anymore. That's absolute nonsense. In the UK, we have what we call the Proceeds of Crime Act, right? If you, if you profit from a crime, if my dad profits from a crime, I guarantee you government's going to take that money from me. And that's what we're talking about. Okay, the slavers aren't here, but their profits are here, and they are the things which are benefiting the others, others and, are not, and are disadvantaging others. Right? So when you are saying that the idea that reparations is, 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 is somehow bad for us, negative for us, I'm looking at Sister Esther, reparations activist. Some of the most active people in the community today are around the issue of reparations. It is simply nonsense, actually. And it's quite, quite offensive. What's being said is, this damage has been done to us, restitution is owed, and when we get this restitution we'll go and do what we like. Right? No, no, nobody's, no, no, no. nobody's asking for white approval, they're just no, saying no. we should get paid can,
6: what we Can got. I come in here now? I share your passion equally, probably more for the um, injustices done to my ancestors, but when I, when I, when I look at what um, uh, I see in terms of Jamaica, in terms of Trinidad, in terms of Ethiopia and Africa, I don't see a crushed people. I don't see a people who have been totally wiped out because of slavery and colonialism. I see a people, really, in a sense, um, already, already who have had, already been inventing themselves, resisting, um, making, repairing themselves. Um, and also needing now, in a sense, to kind of join the world. And I just think that the idea that Africa is not going to be in the future um, one of the greatest spaces in, on the planet uh, is, is not. China is not going into Africa just just because it's there. There's, there, there there are great resources there the exactly. people themselves are so right. talented and they're,
4: and they're taking them exactly, exactly.
6: <laughs> and, and, resor- and resources are there resor- <laughs> let, me, let me finish resources are there I'm
4: going to
1: jump in there because yeah, yeah. I would like to take two more questions which I think we have time for I'll come to this gentleman here number one
9: good evening Um, My question is going to be largely to uh, Catherine Burble Singh. It's interesting that you should use the, the idea of rape, given that it was routinely exercised on men, women and children during the entire process when we were enslaved. So my question is this. Do you think it's right that the descendant, of, the, of a person who is raped? Or let's just use your, 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 your actual analogy. Do you think it's right that the child of the rapist should be forced to remain in the house and under the control of the rapist, or should they be set free and, and given the means to be independent of the racist? After all, that's a legal principle, even now in this country, that the law supports. Can, that, can we
1: take... Thank you, thank you.
10: I think it's interesting that we're talking about this in the sense of investment, and I think that's a good idea. We, uh, Kenda you mentioned all these monuments they built, uh, these universities are glorious, and they're built on the backs of slaves. This isn't uh, reparations. This is, this is seed money, and I would like uh, maybe a reinvestment in the people who invested in the countries that they live in. So I don't know if I can do reparations if it will cause upheaval. Fairness is very... Fairness is important and fairness hasn't been given to to black people who have been affected by slavery. But if giving reparations will mean that white people will feel like they've been betrayed and then we'll have it on civil unrest, is that something we should concern about? Okay, thank S- you. Civil war and unrest.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, so the first question... To Catherine, um, yeah, to refer to the analogy that was used, should the offspring of a rape be kept in the home of the rapist?
5: Well, I'm, I'm not quite sure what's being asked. I mean, if you're referring to the terrible atrocities that took place in sla- under slavery, obviously I, I'm not for slavery. I mean, <laughs> I, it, it was a terrible thing. Um, what I'm, what I am for is um, for us to judge Uh, people according to their historical times. And um, that's why I'm talking about uh, various civilizations participating in slavery, because that was the norm at the time. It doesn't make it right according to our standards now. Of course it doesn't. Of course it was wrong. I mean, as I keep saying, slavery was terrible. Um, But we do have to recognize that it was a different time. We also need to recognize that it wasn't just as simple as white people and black people, and that's it. There were d- slaves of, di- of, of different colors, there were uh, slave owners of different colors. And then we need to recognize how difficult it is to, do- to make reparations happen. Um, who are you paying? How are you sorting that out? Who, who is the West? It, it, it's so complex. That doesn't mean is, that slavery was right.
1: If the, the very last answer, I'm going to come to Kahinde was um, what about the argument, which is one of the arguments that those who are against reparations make, that this, the process of reparations could incite more social unrest and could cause resentment with the right
4: or with white interest groups? When people lose things, they often get upset. But sometimes people have to lose things. And if that is what makes things fairer, then you just have to accept that people won't be happy about it. I mean, you can't. I mean, this is part of the problem with a lot of, of our politics, is that we have tried to keep everybody happy. No one was worried about keeping us happy when they were enslaving us for 300 years, or imprisoning us at mass rates, or the police are shooting us in the streets. So again, what you often have with these arguments is we're expected to be morally superior and have these crazy uh, expectations that we're not expecting from, the, from the, the, the master, if you like. The other thing I really want to say about this is... The question here is, should the West pay reparations? And it's actually a very simple argument. No, this is not complicated. The West is, we know what the West is. The West is very clearly defined, right? Historically, contemporarily. The West used a system of slavery which was utterly based on race. The idea is not based on race, it's a complete offensive fantasy, I'm sorry. There were other systems of slavery, the system of slavery we're talking about was based on the racial exploitation of enslaved Africans. This enriched the West beyond all manner of identity and you have already paid reparations. You paid them through slave owners and this should make you mad and burn inside. And it is also really. And it, and to the question that somebody asked before, you can actually calculate it. So in America, it's estimated it's about $15 trillion that the enslaved are owed. You can go back and say unpaid labor, you can go back and say um, distress, etc., etc. All of these things which are enshrined in international law, it is perfectly possible to come up with a number and say the West should pay for it. Because it's difficult to work out how that happens, That does not mean it should not happen. And the question we're asking today is, should it happen? And of course it should.
1: Thank you. So the results of the vote are in. Before the debate, 39% of people were for the motion. After the debate, sorry, before the debate, it was 39% of people for the motion motion. And now there are 49% of people who believe that the West should make reparations. So there's a variance of 10%. Um, Before the debate, there were 23% who were against. There are now 38% who are against. So there's a variance of 15% who believe the West should not make reparations. Before the debate, a whopping 38% were undecided. That has gone down to 13% with a variance of 25%. So there's been quite a shift, as you can see. So I would like to thank the speakers um, for all of their contributions. So thank... So <laughs> thank Intelligence Squared for organising the event. Um, books, books and a signing will be happening outside. I'll be signing my book, Don't Touch My Hair. Kahinde will be signing his book. Thank you, and good night.